Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly, he knew what he was talking. My name is David, and I am a talkaholic. And my name is Matthew, and I agree that David is a talkaholic. Did I do it wrong again? Yeah, still, mm, we still got to work on it. Still my gotta... name is, I don't, my name is Matthew. Uh-huh. Okay, I... we'll just leave it at that. That okay. at, least, at least we know that was accurate. I don't think I get it. <laughs> and we are back with another episode. It is May. It is, tra-la, it's May, the lusty month of May. <laughs> the month where we sit inside and watch Netflix all day. Uh, uh, this it, was a delight. Buckle up, listeners, because this is <laughs> this was an enjoyable experience for me. I agree wholeheartedly. Matthew was talking about the fact that we decided this month to do a rewatch show of the infamous. And uh, critically underappreciated 1983 TV movie called High School USA. The barely critically reviewed High School <laughs> USA. But I am with you. I I really didn't remember it. We we had an actor when that came up. It was like, oh, that was a TV movie with Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon. And I was like, what? Yeah. So this fits beautifully into our uh, initial attempts here as this as this podcast still continues to evolve and find its uh, shape and form. Let's let's stick with doing facts of life adjacent projects. Yeah. So by the time this drops, I will have posted a link to the episode so that the Tutti Fruities will have been able to watch. And I hope uh, I hope you guys did get a chance to watch it because it is I mean. <laughs> it is I can't believe how much I enjoyed it. Really, honestly, not ironically. Truly several laugh out loud moments. <laughs> yes. Um and not ironic laugh out loud like, oh, that's hilarious that yeah. you've got a robot that starts with a car key. Yeah. You know, like and, and has a license plate on the back of it and, right. and can talk to a vending machine and get free soda out of it. Yes. But, and I will tell you the two high the two standouts for me mm-hmm. are um Crispin Glover. Yes! Yes! <laughs> he knows exactly what movie he's in. He is so good. Ah. Uh. And just the acting that I know that he's doing, because I know he's not like that as a yeah. person. The level of acting he's bringing and the commitment level is off the charts. Insane. I mean, he's on a completely different level than anybody else in this film. Exactly. He was, you said he knew what movie he was in. Yes, it was not this movie, it was his own other separate place. And that was right for the character 150%. Completely. And yes. Um, and Crystal Barnard. Crystal Barnard, also quite good. Enjoyable and charming. Yes. But I thought, as far as comedic relief goes, the ugly girl from Gimme a Break. 
Um, you mean Laurie Hendler, I believe, is who you're talking about. God, she's even got an ugly name. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she, by the way, did you recognize the girl that she was paired up with? Um, I didn't recognize her, but I looked up who she was. Oh, you see, I looked at her and went, that is Jenny Piccolo from Happy Days. Oh, and, was it? Yeah, I forget. Um, at some point I wrote down her name. Her name is Kathy Silvers, and she was one of the many things that contributed to the shittiness that was the later seasons of Happy Days. Jenny Piccolo was this, um, she was like the Alan Brady, where we never met her, but she was always talked about and discussed like she was the adventurous, loose girlfriend of Joni Cunningham. And then... In a later season, they went, why don't we actually cast an actress as Jenny Piccolo and have her actually be a character on the show? And they did, and she was. And she was fine. She was no more or less awful than the whole show was. But the fact is that Jenny Piccolo, now being a flesh-and-blood person, took all of the fun out of this character we could envision is who in the world would a girl be that was like that so before we we've already started nerding out a bit about it but let's do let's do a little bit of of davidisms here and do a little bit of business shall we and start with the fact that high school usa is a tv movie it originally broadcast on october 16th of 1983 which means Um, it was filmed over the summer yes and um they definitely were thinking of it as a potential pilot for a future series. And they later did do a one hour pilot for a series with a different cast. And uh, the network did not pick it up. Oh, Crystal Barnard was in it. Oh yeah. I hear Joel Hodgson was offered it and, and declined (laughs) to said he didn't want to be in it. Yeah. That's what it says on the web on there, on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. And on the MDIB page as well. Um, so it was written by Alan Eisenstock and Larry Mintz. They are both in their early 30s, and they were writers and producers and creative consultants for such shows as Sanford and Son, Angie, What's Happening, Mork and Mindy, Family Matters, Step by Step, and Married with Children. So they have a lot of TV credits. So they are sitcom writers. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and producers and creative consultants. So, yeah, for them, I think that really boils down to that they're writers. Um, here's the interesting thing. The director, Rod Amato, I believe yes. how you do it. Did you look him up? Did you look up his I credits? Did. I did. <laughs> the reason why I pointed out that the writers were in their early 30s at the time. Because <laughs> you look at Rod Amato's credits and you're like, they go back to the early 1950s. They go back Burns and Allen, for yes. God's sake. And, and I mean, we're talking the dawn of television. Yeah. He had to be in his 60s when he was recording. He, he was 59 is what oh, I find. No. He's 59 making a high school movie in the 80s. And he has credits like General Electric Theater. Yeah. Pepsi Cola Playhouse, all the that. Colgate early, Comedy Hour. Yeah, exactly. All that early, early TV shit where the yeah. shows didn't even have a name. They were just the sponsors. And then Mr. Amato goes on to do shows like uh, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Yeah. Comes into play because the actor who plays Dobie Gillis is in this movie. And then we have Phil Silvers, 
uh, his multiple Phil Silvers uh, endeavors, My Mother the Car, and he does have a Dukes of Hazard in there. How did that sneak in? Well, and Phil Silvers shows, and you, and you have to wonder if it was like, could you hire my daughter for this movie? Oh. You know what I mean? I forgot that Kathy Silvers is Phil Silvers' daughter. Yeah. Totally fucking forgot that. Yeah. Wow. He probably like like he probably watched her grow up on the set. I mean, it was like, of course. But you know what I mean? Like it's just like the little I didn't even wow, thank you for reminding me of that. I did know that at some point in the in the <laughs> chasms of my memory. Anyhow, um so how can we possibly synopsize this to try to give a general for those who may not have watched it, I would love to give some sort of a very short general synopsis. I feel like for TV Guide, they they booked this like it was family night. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This had something for the parents in 1984. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like an earlier, like right now we're all big on the reboots and stuff. And then yeah. all you do is you see this TV show where your idols are now ancient and it's <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> it was like they build it as a chance for the parents to see their their, their idols. idols. Yeah. And the current kids to see their idols. Yeah. And so why not? It's just yeah. a delightful two hours. Who cares what the plot is going to be? Yeah. And, and I'm would... giving you all this on a platter. <laughs> it, it's true. I, I think that's a great way to, to put it. And I think that even the grandparents, I mean, young grandparents, Sure. Would also have something there too, because think of it. If it's the if it's 1983, sure. Uh, a parents with a nine year old kid would probably be in their 30s. Yeah. Meaning they would have been born around 1950 ish. So shows like Dobie Gillis and and Phil Silvers, those were the shows when they were little kids and they didn't get rerun. I mean, reruns were a, a later right uh, phenomenon. So I imagine that there were grandparents who could sit and watch this and and appreciate that right. they may not they may not have been young when they watched it but it was like oh my god uh, when i was in my 30s raising your parents i was watching gilligan's island and there's don yep. wells so i okay. don't know how to synopsize the movie because I, I actually wrote one of my notes is okay that there is a lot of plot holy fuck balls there's a lot of plot okay here's a here's a way uh, i think might be a good jumping off point just to give people a sense of what it is Somebody saw Greece. Somebody saw and, and Greece too, and said, "Well, this could certainly be done as a TV movie or a potential TV show." But you know what? Those period costumes are expensive. We can just do it modern times. But taking a cue from Greece, where Greece did the exact same thing we were talking about, where we had John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John, these white hot young stars in the beginnings of their stellar careers and then let's go and cast eve arden and Dodie goodman and sid caesar and uh let's put frankie avalon in it i didn't know who frankie avalon was when i saw greece i didn't even recognize him from the beach party movies and um and actually that brings in another element the beach party movies those had frankie and annette those also had don rickles paul lind uh the was Phil Silvers in some of those? I don't know that he was, but that type, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But like, you know, your buddy Hackett's and it was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like your old time 
Borschbelt comics were in these movies on the beach with these young kids. Your buddy Hackett. Yeah. <laughs> As if How many casting than... directors have said those words? Yeah. <laughs> you know, your buddy Hackett. <laughs> so that's the the very the broadest of broad strokes is we have a movie that takes place in a high school in modern times 1983 but we have stacked the deck for the older uh, generation shall we go into and we got all these kids under contract for nbc yeah so they don't have a fucking choice they're making this movie whether they want to or not and currently in 1983 i should have looked this up uh-huh. uh, the in the in theatrical releases, there were the, I guess what they call sleeper hits mm-hmm. of Zapped, of Meatballs, yeah, uh, you know all these high school like mm-hmm. like things are secular. Um, so like in the nineties, it was um the American Pie movies, and yeah. the, I know what you didn't do last summer when you screamed movies. Yeah, you know, like the it was that kind of like low ball hit. Yeah, was hitting in theaters. So why not put it on TV? Like, yeah, it's, it's exactly like that screwball high school comedy. Yeah, and it has all of the elements of it, and it's yeah. predictable and it's wonderful. Yes, so, sit down because <laughs> sit back and relax. Yes, uh, and, and yeah, and this was the sort of dawn of the sort of teen trash movie of the yeah. of the uh, the porkies and the um and animal house that and, kind of yeah that whole thing those movies were coming into play and this tries to go there this tries so hard yeah. and kind of doesn't quite do it but let's go through the cast list shall we just so that we oh. people understand the people there. i'm going through the credits as they appear and by the way the opening song in the credits is all of the everythings it is so amazing. I think I'm gonna put it is it just like I compared it in my head. I was like, this is just like the meatball song. Are you ready for the summer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the only words in this song are school is in. School is in. That's it. That's and it. Remember, Reese 2 started with a song called Back to School. So it did yeah. have it. And by the way, the exterior shots of the front of the high school are the high school that they used in Greece and Greece too. It is literally Rydell High, which, I mean, Greece, the movie was only, what, six, seven years old at this point. So it's still very fresh in our consciousness. Greece too was um, two years old. Or a year one, old. right? Yeah. And um, so two. going through this, the cast list, ladies and gentlemen, Michael J. Fox, huge <laughs> star from Family Ties. Nancy McKeon, huge star from The Facts of Life. Todd Bridges, huge star from Different Strokes. All three of them under contract for for NBC, like you said. But also all three of them, it's like Disney's um, grad nights. Mm-hmm. They yeah, yeah. Stars just on the cusp. Like next year they're going to be famous. Yeah. Or they get stars that are like, oh, yeah, I think my parents know who that person is. Yeah. Yeah, Angela Cartwright hasn't worked in a couple of years. We could probably yeah. get her. Yeah. So none she, of these people were too big to say no to this. Exactly. You know I mean? Like exactly. Gary Coleman, too big to say no. Like oh, he was yeah. like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. But Todd Bridges, Dana Plato. And Dana Plato. So 
<laughs> exactly. Two two for one and different strokes. <clears throat> like come back to the next season a different stroke. What did you kids do over the summer? Well, we both were contractually obligated <laughs> to make this movie. Um, but next in and this is the list and this is the 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 order in which they appear in the opening credits. So oh, okay. fourth billing after Michael J. Fox, Nancy McKeon, Todd Bridges, fourth oh. credit, Angela Cartwright. It's like, uh okay. Yeah. Angela Cartwright, those who don't recognize the name, they she was most famous for being Penny on Lost in Space. And she's also uh Louisa in the sound of music. Brigitta? That's right. She's Brigitta, the one with the book at the beginning when we first meet the kids. So she is one of the teachers in this. After Angela Cartwright, fifth billing goes to Bob Denver Gilligan. They, each of the stars from the old days each get an entrance. Yeah. Like they each get a, like, where if there was an audience, there would be applause. Yes, yes. You are so, so right. Oh, my God. Like it's TV, so... definitely TV writers definitely wrote this movie without yes. a question. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is in the opening credits, we have a clip of each actor in the film and then a freeze frame. Not all the freeze frames are flattering freeze frames. I wrote down horrible freeze frames. <laughs> we feel each other, Matthew. We, like we are on the same wavelength. They watched every frame to get a freeze frame. Yeah. And- they couldn't have found one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, okay, why her mouth is open and her eyes are closed. Why She's would you blink? <laughs> she looks yes. like an eye. Yeah. So next in the credits, Dwayne Hickman. Not a familiar name, but he was Dobie Gillis in the TV show Dobie Gillis, which also starred Bob Denver and it's a very familiar name. And and let's go back to um the director had directed Dobie all of these you know, he had connections to all these with Phil Silvers and Dobie yeah. Gillis. And he I didn't see there was probably a lost in space in there somewhere, too. Next credit, Lori Hendler. She is the girl who played, I believe, Julie on Give Me a Break. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also a lot of people don't know. She was in the um, uh, the the backdoor pilot episode of Different Strokes that was launching the Facts of Life. So okay. season one, episode 24, called Garrett's Girls. That's the backdoor pilot, not the pilot of the actual show. But Laurie Hendler wasn't in Give Me a Break yet. She was one of the garden variety girls that were Eastland students. The homely one on Give Me a Break. <laughs> Stop. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying don't say that. And, <laughs> and then Dana Plato. Dana yeah. Plato is this far down. The cast list, and and this is not alphabetical, people. I mean, because then after Dana Plato, we get Crystal Bernard. Clearly, somebody at NBC liked her, and that lasted until they found Wings for her, and that would be her big thing. At this time, she was on, um, she had joined the cast of Happy Days. Mm. Ted, she played Casey Cunningham. And then it says she joined the cast of It's a Living. So she was not an original cast member of the show. Oh, when Anne Gillian may have left and then they were. That's right. Because It's a Living was canceled and then went into first run syndication. But you're right. She It's a Living was an NBC show, I think. Next, as the douchebag, preppy, asshole, football quarterback, man 
Alpha Dick who rules the roost. Yes. Who whom do you think of other than, of course, Anthony Edwards? Yeah. When you're casting a role like that. I think of a guy with no chin who talks out of the side of his mouth. <laughs> it bothered me the whole movie. Does he talk? I didn't notice that. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Anthony Edwards literally in one year would be in Revenge of the Nerds as one of the nerds. Yeah. Like leading role playing a nerd. Yeah. And it is so fascinating to see him playing this. Uh, and, you know, I think that uh, at the end when he plays, he plays Dr. Green on ER was his big claim to fame. He did that forever. By the time we get to ER, he's more of the nerd than he is the football jock. Well, and you're skipping over um, Goose from Top Gun. Matthew, I'm going to admit, I'm going to be vulnerable right now. Yeah. I have never seen Top Gun. Oh, the only thing you need to see is the, is the volleyball scene. It's like mm-hmm. gay porn. Is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's hot. Okay. But 86, he was a couple years away from movie stardom yeah. with um, um, Top Gun in 86. which is why throughout the movie i refer to him as goose as goose okay you call him goose i call him that throughout the movie there's some characters that i refer to as their name and other characters i refer to as their sitcom name me too Um, yes so i don't know what nancy mckeon's name is in the movie because i just (laughs) call her joe through the whole thing (laughs) So, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll work out the names later. Um, and, and now, so that's the, that's the main cast. And now we get the rest of them in alphabetical order. And, uh, Frank Bank. Do you know who Frank Bank is? Who did he play? Let me see. He's the, the dark haired, uh, larger bearded guy who is one of the caterers. Oh yeah. 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 He played Mr. Girardi. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Lumpy. <laughs> Lumpy Rutherford on Leave it to Beaver. Um, Eleanor Donahue. I didn't look up who she is. I don't know who she is. Help me. Who is Eleanor uh, She Donahue? was Andy Griffith's first, um, Andy Taylor's first um, love interest. Oh, okay. On the Andy Griffith show. Okay. Very pretty. Very yeah. pretty. And, and she literally has one tiny little scene playing Nancy McKeon's mother. Uh, next, Tony Dow. Ah. Wally Cleaver, Beaver's older brother, mm. and uh, mm, mm, mm. yeah, no, he's he he blossomed nicely. He was a good-looking looking man, just as good as he did when he was Wally. <laughs> Oof. only only legal now, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next, Steve Franken, the wonderful, the wonderful. He's he's got a ton of credits, but he doesn't have. It's surprising among this throng that he doesn't have a single TV show credit that you identify him with. The thing that I think people watching this identified him with was he was um, he came on to um, the many loves of Dobie Gillis as a recurring character. Oh, back to Dobie so Gillis was, again. Yeah, and like he he played um, one of Dobie Gillis's friends. So yeah, he was like lumpy. He was yeah. like that level of like, or an Eddie Haskell, not on every episode. He but. was a lumpy Rutherford. Yeah. Not the lumpy Rutherford. No. Um, then we have Ken Osmond. 
No, not one of the Osmond brothers, ladies and gentlemen. No. He was, of course, Eddie Haskell on Leave It to Beaver. <laughs> and um, then we have Don Wells, Marianne from Gilligan's Island. And then, and then it also starring in just a list, they don't get a face credit, they just have a clock. Also starring John Caleri, who is uh, actually John Caleri and David Packer. I believe they are both, those are the two lackeys that are always following Anthony Edwards around okay. and doing his, doing his bidding. Crispin Glover, as we've already said, is one of the geeky kids and he is extraordinarily good in this movie. <laughs> And then Kathy Silver's, uh, Phil Silver's daughter, Jenny Piccolo. And uh, yeah, so that's the, that is the cast, the credited cast. Um, I missed one. I'm sorry. I missed David Nelson as the janitor. Yeah. David Nelson, one of the Not sons. Ricky on... Nelson. No, fuck no. He's too big for this shit. But Ozzie and Harriet, I believe they were one of the credits of the director. He called in all his favor. No wonder they used this 59-year-old to direct this movie. He probably right. got this whole cast for a song. But, uh, yeah, just about every single one of them had a little nod to their career. I didn't pick up on all of them, but I picked I, up on a couple of them. And I actually okay. have a note where I put, I wish they would have done that more. Yeah. Agreed. They, they could have totally like, done more. More yeah. winks to the audience that I'm lumpy. Yeah, know. exactly. Well, at one point, somebody says, well, we can just be friends. I think yeah. Michael, G she says, Nancy McKean says that to Michael J. Fox. And he says, uh, like Lumpy and Wally, no thank you. Yeah. And it's like Lumpy and Wally are literally in the movie. Yeah. Here's a perfect example. When we meet Nancy McKean's parents, Anthony Edwards is going to pick her up for a date. And it is Ken Osmond, who was Eddie Haskell. Eddie yeah. Haskell was known for being the biggest suck-up kiss-ass on Leave it to Beaver. And Anthony Edwards is literally doing the same thing and buttering up the dad. Yeah. And the mom. And Ed uh, Haskell is meeting Eddie Haskell. Exactly, yeah. And did you pick up that maybe the Don Wells being the, the home ec teacher who teaches cooking? Did you pick up the whole thing of, you know, like the fact that Marianne could somehow take coconut and tree bark and make a pie crust out of it on Gilligan's <laughs> Island. How it's like, Oh, we're having pancakes. Let's go get some tree sap to be the syrup. It's like, what, what is happening? Um, the thing that I noticed more was that at the dance at the end, mm -hmm. when they shoot her, they, they shoot a scene with her. The scene begins with her face in a lifesaver. Oh, I did not catch that. Yeah. Oh, the professor and Mary Ann. So here's the deal. The yep. overarching, the, let's, let's, let's go through some of the plots. Okay. And there are many, which is why this feels like a pilot for a TV show where um, it's like, let's just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And um, we have the big main romantic plot is uh, Nancy McKeon is dating Anthony Edwards. And Michael J. Fox meets her and is interested in her. And he is just, Michael J. Fox is so goddamn charming. He is just. He is the he's, perfect underdog anti-hero. Yes. Yes. Because he's just nerdy enough not to be the stud. But mm -hmm. he's just adorable enough that he's not a nerd. Yeah. You know? And 
he, he's just the, the perfect everyman. Agreed. He's like Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing. Yes. Every homely girl watched that and was like, oh my God, the homely girl gets the guy. <laughs> and, and the nose job 15 years later. Which ruined her career. But, oh, dear. Um, but I, I put that th- there. Um, yeah, that Michael J. Fox is just so perfect. He, everything. But I don't know who he is like is he ferris bueller is he a bad kid is he a like i wanted them to give him more purpose in that like i like for his character there's nothing that should attract nancy mckeon to him he Mm. has no future he has no yeah he has no plans i would have liked for them to make him like a hard worker with a dream you know oh yeah that's a good idea because so far he's just kind of this loser. Like he's a de- he's proud of being a deadbeat, and it's like, well, what? Yeah, that's I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, because we are told in his backstory that his mother died when he was very young, and he lives with his dad, and his dad is just literally never home and has no right. interest in him. So he's pretty much fending for himself. Yeah. And then at one point when he's in with the principal Tony Dow, that's uh, Wally Cleaver. When he's in with the principal, uh, he is the principal does say something like, you need to find some direction. You need to believe in something and commit to it kind of a thing. So I think maybe aimless. Would that be a good word? I mean, I guess. But I don't disagree with you that we could have given him a stronger angle because for him to be the underdog with a dream and then having Anthony Edwards, the asshole football player, being a dick to him. Yeah. And um, a guy who gets everything handed to him is being mean to the guy who's working hard. Yeah. It would have given a little more depth to his character. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, So what is going on is that through a series of events, Michael J. Fox challenges him to a drag race. A drag, and we don't mean drag race like we think of it now. No, not RuPaul's drag race. No. No. An actual drag race with cars. And uh, it's so. <sighs> Bless. These, uh, there are so many, and forgive me if I had a different high school experience, but there's so many. I like to say like Hollywood stereotypes. Yes. That never were. No. That never are. No. There was no one guy in my school that had a group of guys that hung around him wearing sunglasses. That yeah. did everything he said, and when he walked away, he went, and yeah. they all picked up and moved. That just, yeah. it, it's so ridiculous. How do we relate to it? Because nobody had that experience. I I agree. Same like, thing goes for the classes with the, we're bringing home a fake baby and have to pretend to be parents. Right. Or right. Uh, that that whole trope. There are so many High school tropes written by middle-aged vaudevillian stand-up comic writers where you're like, uh, okay, I mean, this is what you need to happen in the movie, but this doesn't really have a lot of basis in reality. At all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah. Uh, so what happens is um, he challenges to a drag race. And then through a series of events, the car that he was planning to use and win with 
which yeah. was Bob Denver's car. Was there a nod to Gilligan with Bob Denver? I didn't notice. I feel like, what do you think? I'm a schlub? Like, maybe, I thought maybe that was it. Oh, because he's got, when he introduces the the car, because he's got yeah. this sweet, it is, a, it is a brand new Trans Am with the eagle on the hood. It is a sweet ride. I mean. My dad used to call them thunder chickens. <laughs> But he had, yeah, it was the whole thing of like, uh, he's Crispin Glover's dad and Crispin Glover as, as the uber nerd of this movie. Well, is he's like, playing George McFly. Oh, a much more George artistic version. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are traces of on the spectrum in this performance that are just, again, his commitment level to being, to the point where you notice he's got his jaw jutted forward and he's mouth breathing. Yeah. And so, and he talks in this same sort of, well, do you think we might be able to get dates for the dance? He he has his own pace and delivery that is unique to him, that is independent of the rhythm of the scene or the jokes or the humor. And yet it works instinctively. He makes it fit. I am well, so all about him in this movie. And he's kind of a douche, we know, from uh, Back to the Future. Yeah lawsuit that happened mm-hmm. so um he's good yeah. in charlie's angels though i mean he's clearly he's talented oh he's, he's got over talented. talented yeah but he's also batshit crazy yeah and it's a shame what happens is uh they wreck the trans am while the dad is out of town and michael j fox god bless him comes up with a plan where they go to pick up Bob Denver at the airport and they insist he have a couple more drinks and he passes out and they put him into his own wrecked car. They all get inside and at the right moment, they slap his face, throw shit out of the car and are all like, ah! Yeah. And Bob Denver wakes up from like an alcoholic blackout and is like, ah, oh my God, what happened? And they realistically convince him that he has just wrecked his own car. And that literally solves the problem. Yeah. It's like, oh, my God. Yep. And I laughed. So I laughed out, particularly with them throwing things out of the window to make the noises of the smashing and clanging of metal and stuff. That God, that made me so happy because it was so preposterous. And yet it's like, mm-hmm, sure. In this cartoonish environment, Yes. So with the car being wrecked, then Michael J. Fox has to turn to his whiz kid friend played by Todd Bridges. Yeah. And he and all the other nerds, this this movie has, has a lot of grease in it, including the race. It's got a lot of Revenge of the Nerds going on, too. And they all pool their resources, including this robot that Todd Bridges has made. And uh, he has to basically sacrifice his robot in order to soup up the engine of Michael J. Fox's POS car. Right. And uh, spoiler alert, Michael J. Fox wins the race. And beats... And spoiler alert, suddenly, nobody in the school likes Anthony Edwards, and he loses all of his friends because he lost a drag race. Uh, Yeah, and Michael J. Fox comes in. You would think he had just declared victory over Europe in 1945. Honest to Christ. I mean, and the hands, you know, they were directed. Reach, the people just reaching out and touching his hair. Yeah, it was how like many people as he entered this 
he goes through this line of people like receiving line. How many people must his hair? Yeah. If I were him, I would have been like, don't must my, I'm not eight. Don't yeah. must my fucking hair. <laughs> but it was like, it was like a scene out of Jesus Christ Superstar with all the Seriously. people needing to reach up and touch the God, you know, this, yeah. our savior. Um, and in the course of this, of course, he ends up also getting the girl. Nancy McKeon, and that is both on film and in real life. In real life. And Nancy McKeon kept it from her castmates. They did not know till after they broke up. It wasn't a long uh, relationship, I don't believe. But it was after the fact they were like, you broke up with somebody? You were seeing somebody? It was Michael J. Fox? What the shit? Yeah. And Crystal Bernard is the girl who has the huge crush on Anthony Edwards and right. does so good being the duplicitous bitch, but 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 likable and southern and plucky and cute and yep. I, totally it, charming. She of course ends up comforting Anthony Edwards, and so she gets him, and so and thank God everybody ends up paired up with somebody because being single, you know, Matthew is just the worst fate a person could ever have to. Anyway, let's move on. Now what, you're what other getting all of the subplots, dear listeners. Because, yes, that is the overlying plot of the film. But Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon are the ones we want to get together. But there are so many subplots. So many, so many, so many, so many, so many. First of all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) these two girls decide that it's their job to get a picture of Anthony Edwards' naked butt. Uh, Yeah, this is where the Porky's element, or we wish it could be Porky's, to the point where they drill a glory hole mm-hmm. into the wall in, so they can see into the men's locker room. That's just yeah. one of the many plot points. Yeah. Second and, of all, yeah. you find out that Dana Plato is a child sex ring worker, apparently. <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, she bra- brags about dating a dentist. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, shows up at the dance with a colonel from the Air Force. Yeah. It takes 20 years to become a colonel in the Air Force. Yeah. So and he had to be at least 40. Yeah. And he looked it. I mean, they were clearly, they were making no bones. And someone does say, oh, that's nice. You brought your dad to the dance. But and who, she says, this isn't my dad. This is my date. Yeah. Your dad's a lot younger. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, oh. But, like, who wrote that in the script and was, like, hilarious? Uh, yeah. And Dana Plato's really barely in the movie. She has only a yeah. handful of scenes where it seems like her inclusion was almost an afterthought. So that could be what's going on there. You are also forgetting the underlying theme of racism, David. Oh, I... I... <laughs> One can never forget racism enough, Matthew, but I did notice it. Please tell everybody what's what's going on there. Dobie Gillis <laughs> is one of the teachers, and apparently there is a grand prize for, um, there's a grant being given. Being given um, by Anthony Edwards' dad. Yeah, by Anthony Edwards' rich dad of $10,000 and an all-expense-paid trip to Europe to the best, the teacher that most shows the qualities of the Excelsior High School teaching team, mm-hmm. as judged by Anthony Edwards. 
Yeah. So all these teachers have to kiss this high school senior's ass mm-hmm. to try to get $10,000 for Christ's sake. And so in the process. plot going through where yeah. all the teachers are kissing Anthony Edwards' butt about trying to get $10,000 because it's basically just his favorite teacher gets the yeah. prize. And the the early, the lighter racism tones come into play where at one point, Dobie Gillis is uh, ashamed to be dating and is trying to date Angela Cartwright, who is yeah. uh, cheer, like the cheerleading coach. Yeah. And he's like a health teacher because they have a sex ed. He's a uh, biology teacher. Biology. And again, in Greece, too. Reproduction. Reproduction. <laughs> They even reference that. Yes. What were we talking about? And the whole class goes, reproduction. Yeah. And how much did you not expect to hear, bum, 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 bum. Where does the pollen go? (laughs) I wanted so bad for at least a musical, like, something. Yeah. Um, But then we get into. he, He can't be seen with her because she's Italian. Yeah. And he says, and he mostly goes for waspy types. Yeah. And she says, aren't you Greek? And he's like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's like, what is happening? I'm not going to win this prize because I'm dating an Italian. (laughs) (laughs) But thankfully, racism, uh, or or we could say nationalityism, we do get full-fledged racism, thankfully. In a not too subtle form where uh, Anthony Edwards is throwing a party early on in the um, in the the in the film. And at the party, it's such a rich person party. There are people walking around in red vests with trays of hors d'oeuvres for a fucking high school party. And then uh, he comments that this tray is empty. Go fill it up. And they go into the kitchen. And that is where Lumpy Rutherford. And Todd Bridges yeah. are working, and they are wearing the red also. And yeah. that is the point when you very, very easily stop and say, Todd Bridges is the only person of color in this entire movie. <laughs> and he yeah. is working, carrying a tray as a servant at a fucking rich white person's party. And that is really okay. upsetting. But that's okay, because we also made him the smartest person in the movie. A 200 IQ, Matthew. Because that's a thing people can have, right? An IQ of 200. Yeah. And still function and be friends with a Michael J. Fox. Yeah. It's like, if you have a 200 IQ in 1983 and you can build a robot that responds to voice commands, you'd probably be working for, you know, the government writing code for, like, missiles and shit. (laughs) It's like, really? Yeah. You're not going to be in a regular old public high school. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Now, before I forget to mention it, another nod to Greece. There is another scene that takes place completely at a, a, a fairgrounds where there's a Ferris wheel and a merry-go-round. Where have and we seen that before? We go together like ram lam lam Again, it's like, hey, we can do this shit in 1983. Doesn't need to take place in the 50s. So suck it, America. And uh, yeah, that's part of the, I mean, many of the plots intertwine, uh, including uh, the sort of subplot of the Crispin Glover 
and uh, Michael, what's his name? The the other, the heavier, nerdy kid. Um, we we we'll call him the fat kid. No. What? That's what he is. That's the character. Well, we have the two of them as nerds do. They just want to date. They just want a girl to show them some attention. Yeah. So that's why you walk up and harass girls. That's why yeah. you, you. Oh my God. That's why and, you plan on going into the fun house and committing rape. Yeah. He said, when we get to the dark part, they they literally say two girls just went in there. Let's go in. And he's like, what do we do? Well, when, when the fun house gets dark, let's jump them. I think he says, yeah, let's jump on. But then because it's the girls trying to get a picture of Anthony Edwards naked, but (laughs) they pull his pants down and they kind of turn it around to where he's the one who gets attacked. Yeah. And he comes out and he goes, somebody pulled my pants down. <laughs> like, score! <laughs> and I laughed so hard. God bless him. he was so happy. <laughs> he was. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to do the molesting and I was right? the molestee, not the and molester. What, what great writing. Because they come out, she comes out of the thing and she's like, I got the picture of it. Of, Anthony Edwards' butt, and they go, what? It's a Polaroid. So they're looking at it like, what is that? And he comes out just in time to go, somebody pulled my pants down. Come on. <laughs> oh, God. Michael yeah. Zorek, that's his name. No. I don't know if you've said his name before, but yeah, Michael Zorek and Crispin Glover are the alpha geeks. And uh, yeah. uh, and yes. Um, what's, another, uh, what's another subplot, Matthew? Um... We've actually already covered a lot of the little inner workings and bits and pieces of the mechanics of the plot and how they feed the overall story. But is there is there anything else? So many wonderful warm and fuzzies of the 80s. Oh, they go to an arcade. Oh, my and God. Packed. Yes. And like when the arcade was the place to hang out. Yes. And they go to yeah. a roller dome. Yeah, yeah, the roller skating and the yeah. arcade, and even when they're at the the um at the carnival, it, oddly it's the school is in, yet they're all dressed like it's the middle of summer because that's yeah. when it's being filmed. But the the plaid Bermuda shorts and the popped collars on the yeah. Izod polo shirts and and all of the rotary phones that they yeah the, like because the, the movie opens with perfect exposition. Yeah. Um, just like the movie Bye Bye Birdie, everybody's on the phone. Talking. Yeah. What are you going to wear to Anthony Edwards' party tonight? Yeah. Well, you've been dating him for a year. Yeah. And I'm you're gonna wear whatever that has to work for NASA. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. And then Michael J. Fox is like, hey, Todd Bridges, you want to hang out tonight? Todd Bridges is like, well, that big party's happening over to Anthony Edwards' house, so I've got to yeah. work it. Michael J. Fox, gee, I wish I could go to that party. Yeah, I Let will tell see. you this. Speaking of um, <clears throat> Todd Bridges, um, the robot that he plays—that's another underlying plot—is that mm-hmm. this robot is obviously somehow his best friend, um, and they have this huge emotional goodbye when mm-hmm. he turns him off. But yeah. inside the robot costume, do you know who played the robot? No, Jerry Marin, who was. A munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. No! Shut up! And as Michael J. Fox first meets the robot, yeah. he, he um, puts his hand on it and he goes, what's with the Tin Man? 
Oh, man. Oh, that's a good one. Wow. And also, honestly, if you're going to have such an emotional connection to a robot, they could have named him something other than robot. Yeah. Oh, totally (laughs) agree. Totally agree. Yes. Like Johnny Five, you know? Yeah. That, That humanizes him and maybe would make us feel a little bit more emotional when you turn him off for the last time yeah and then spoiler alert he builds another robot at the end so he ends everybody gets what they want at the end it's a comedy um let's talk a little bit more about this this uh quest to get the photograph of (laughs) bo middleton's (laughs) naked behind anthony edwards Uh, there's a sense of the girls i mean it's for a a photography assignment like they are going to turn this into their teacher no, they're going to turn it into Crystal Bernard, who is the president. She says she's the one who decides. She's oh. the judge. So they're going to turn in a picture of Crystal Bernard's love interest, of him being humiliated, and she's going to put that in the yearbook. Yeah. It's... Like, I don't understand how she thought that would at all be appropriate. But, <laughs> or where yeah. she reached to that like it's it's very illogical in many ways on many levels because the assignment is to take a picture of nature that's the assignment and she decides that the most natural picture would be of anthony edwards naked behind yeah yeah, and when um when Jenny Piccolo says, oh, we're going to do something oh natural, mm-hmm. Lori Hendler says, what? I'm not taking my clothes off again and having pictures taken. Uh-uh. Like, it was it was almost a, yeah, fool me three times, shame on me kind of a joke. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? You're in high school. Yeah. The hell? <laughs> and, but the thing is, uh, if there had been, if Crystal Bernard had said, and similar to this other thing, if there was a prize... And I get to pick the winner and the prizes you get X, Y, Z. If they had said, oh, she wants a natural. I know how to get her to pick us for the winner. She's yeah. had a crush on Bo forever. How do we get a picture of Bo's ass? She is not going to declare, you know, she will pick us as the winner hands yeah. down. She's wanted to get in his pants forever. But again it's like he's the hot guy i mean anthony edwards is attractive and he's the hot guy and he's the the football guy it's like part of me is like i feel like if a picture of his ass circulated around high school he'd be like "Mm mm-hmm that's my ass yeah yep too bad you didn't get a little bit of my balls hanging down you'd have been impressed by those too you know yeah that's my butt you can all kiss it yeah exactly i'm not sure where the humiliation factor is yeah and and at the end, spoiler alert, once again, people, the the last haha of the whole movie, the last, literally the final joke button of the film is the robot, the new Todd Bridges robot walks up and pantses him so that yeah. he's got his, but his boxers, it's not his bare ass, it's his boxers, at which point, thankfully, the girls showed up to the dance with their camera ready and loaded and turned on and they snap a picture of it. So they, the girls looking for their picture, they get what they want. And then we cut to Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon together. <laughs> Freeze frame. Yeah. End of movie. And it's just, it's so, so odd. You have to remember, though, David, at this point, Anthony Edwards has lost everything. 
So of course it's humiliating. He's lost his girl. He's lost his posse. He's lost his position. Yeah. Yeah. And, And even to the point where at the dance, like he says to his cronies, yeah, we, we really got to do something and take care of this. And they're like, do it yourself. Like, yeah, yeah fucking loser. You can't drive in a drag race, so we're not your friends anymore. Can't it's not eat. like he doesn't have money anymore. He yeah. still has more money than everybody else. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing. I just thought of this. Did you see Grease live when they did the musical live on Fox? I thought it had some wonderful things about it. I really did. Yeah, the new song for Carly Rae whatever the new all i need is an angel song egregious unforgivable unsupportable what were they thinking but if you recall they did do some alterations to the book they didn't uh, they didn't abide by the original book of the broadway show and one of the changes they made was in order to do the drag race with grease lightning and um oh by the way when michael j fox is trying to rally the troops and saying okay we got to fix this car we got to do it you want to be why well, this car could be automatic <laughs> systematic <laughs> dramatic it's greasy lightning you wanted it so bad i have some overhead quads oh yeah here's the thing in the new book that they wrote for the musical, the the, the Grease live on Fox, yeah. one of the we, one of the reasons why he wins the drag race against the Scorpions is that they go to Eugene and Eugene, the nerd, helps them soup up the engine with some special chemical he's been working on. It's very similar to this, where the nerd soups up the engine and that's what pushes it over the edge and makes them win the drag race. So, hmm. A movie plagiarizing Greece is then later plagiarized by Greece. That is an Oprah full circle moment, Matthew, and I approve. Well, they have they've changed Greece over the years to more fit the movie because the original Broadway production is nothing. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very rough. different from the movie. It is rough. Um, okay, I'm just going to go through my notes now. If there's any other final moments before we wrap this shit up. I had, I mean, again, another little warm 80s thing is at the dance. You see all these 80s prom dresses. Mm-hmm. I mean, another little warm thing. Uh, one thing, Michael J. Fox is so charming and appealing. We don't care that he is supposed to be 16 in the film. Yeah. And he's probably like 20 in real life, but he still looks like he's 14. And Nancy McKeon, unfortunately, is suffering from 1980s teenager who looks like she's 35 syndrome. Yes. And even with that, they are both such good actors in the few scenes they have. And they don't have a lot together, but yeah. to get them connected and interested, I I liked it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, when we talked about rallying the troops... Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning the other nerds. There are multiple other nerdy people and not cool kids. And here are some of them. One of them who is married with a child yeah. and, he's, and he's shaving in the locker room. And they're like, and they're like, so are you a virgin? And he's like, I have a kid. Yeah. And, and what does Crispin Glover say? Oh, he says, oh, wow. My parents wanted kids. <laughs> Without a hint of irony. No, no. And again, not playing it for the laugh. 
dead serious and it works beautifully but everybody we all knew that kid in high school the kid who had like a full beard that looked like he was 35 years old and this guy the actor they cast his hair is just starting to thin yeah and at the dance he introduces his wife and she's pregnant so we meet the the little boy he's got a little boy named little ricky by the way uh and she's pregnant as well so he's one of them there's also this amazing character called crazy leo and he's played by Tom Villard. Tom Villard okay. is one of those actors. I think he died recently. Not recently. No, but he's he's not with us anymore. I, I think he was gay, wasn't he? Wasn't he? He died, he died of AIDS. I always enjoy him every time I see him, and he does not disappoint here. He has many good moments and laughs um, in this. Uh... I wrote down that um, I felt like... Um... Joe didn't have a lot to do in the in the second act of the movie. Like There's a long forget. spot. There's a long, long period of time where we, like, all. we come back to them. We're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Michael, that's right. This is happening, too. Yeah, we do have a long. Uh, there's a there's a, a the scene where Crystal Bernard and her friend are trying to seduce the nerds at the skating rink. And they're dressed like punks. And they actually say, those two punk girls are looking at us. Yeah. And they've got like the Z, the purple zebra print cutoff t-shirt. Two party city wigs on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they fall for it. And they have no idea that they're the two girls from school. So it's no. a very Lucy and Ethel. Like, oh my God, yes. You've got a guy that can't recognize his wife with full face on and a mustache. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, the points where uh, Anthony Edwards and Nancy McKeon are at odds, and he is being a dick to her. Again. And maybe I had a different high school experience. Who would let somebody talk to them like that? I mean. like, And who I mean. says those things? What person in high school actually says out loud, I'm the king, you're my queen, all of these little people are my servants. Who's, yeah. again, a high school trope that never existed. Yeah. That we accept. Yeah. But smartly, yeah. Nancy McKean does say, oh, well, I wasn't dating you last year. Who was I then if I wasn't your queen? And he was like, oh, guess you were just one of the nobodies. And it's like, yeah. fuck, dude. Who says <laughs> that, though? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Mm. Um, oh, oh. One of the nerds of, of the many inappropriate attempts to woo the girls, Crispin Glover, I believe, goes to one of the punk girls at the skating rink and says, want to rent a motel room? No, Michael Zorex says that. The Michael fat Zorex says that? Says that? Yeah. yeah. Want to rent a motel room? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, geez, you're in high school. You got, could you? Even in 83, could a teenager walk up and say, hey, can I get a hotel room for an hour? I want to fuck this chick. It's like, what? Well, nothing's happening to Dana Plato dating 40-year-olds. Uh, so. I suppose. Yeah, it was a different time. It was really a different time. Oh, at one point, the girls who are trying to set up the picture, not only do they show up at 530 in the morning to drill their glory hole, yeah. and then later bribe david nelson the janitor to tell him to get out so we can do our bidding at one point they they're up a ladder outside anthony edwards house and set up a camera to take yeah. pictures in his bedroom window yeah 
And the payoff to that joke is when they get the pictures back, they're like, this isn't him. It's his parents. Ew. And he's a cross-dresser. Yeah. Why is the why is why is his mom dressed up like a nurse? And she says, that's not his mom. That's his dad. Ew. Ew. <laughs> but it's like, oh, my God, the different times of, oh, yeah, we can take pictures of people through their bedroom window without their consent. And that's perfectly OK to do, especially for a teenager, just kids getting into mischief, you know. And I also put down another high school trope that never existed. The socializing in the locker room for like just you do have class like you went into the locker room for gym you got changed and you went to class like yeah like who shaved in the locker room in the middle of the day yeah walking around just standing around talking in the locker room I mean yeah that happens as adults in like the golf locker room and stuff but like yeah. in high school not a thing that happened. And I don't, I didn't play like team sports or anything, but like for just a regular gym class, which that's mm -hmm. what that seemed to be. I like socializing in the locker room didn't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That was the idea was you, you go in the locker room, you change and get out here because you got to do your class. Yeah. You got to, and yeah, in every eighties high school movie, it's always got a locker room scene where they just seem to just enjoy hanging out in the locker room. Yeah, 16 yeah, Candles. They have time to watch that girl shower and marvel yeah. at her body. And yeah. it's just like, Jesus. It's a, del a delightful little predictable fluff piece that I didn't mind spending an hour or so with. And it was it fun. Really makes promises that it, that it, and it, so therefore it doesn't break my heart. There's nothing promised and nothing lost from it. And it was delightful. And, and there were enough the plots. Back to their sitcoms knowing that they have successfully achieved getting the and starring credit at the beginning of this. <laughs> no, I agree with you. I had the best time, the, the way the skating rink was and the, the arcade and the, the carnival. There is so much of that that is from my childhood, from my, yeah. my adolescence. And if you'll notice in the arcade scene, um, you can't read any of the game's names. No, they blocked them out. Yeah, Literally with a piece of black tape across some of them. <laughs> I can see the black tape across the name. Yeah, this but, is Galaga. Um, this is Space Invaders, but you never see it. Nope. What's your final thing? Um, my final thing is it was, like I said, it was a delightful snapshot into the 80s. It yeah. was light. It was a delicious piece of cotton candy yeah, so, uh, um, gee, we haven't really talked about a movie before on this show, but I've thought that we could do more one-offs like this of TV movies, particularly ones that are somehow related to facts of life. So we, we need a rating system, Matthew. It's uh, uh, maybe, well, since we call ourselves TV talkaholics, maybe we should have chips, because I think that's what, what people in recovery have. And uh, uh if we want to bastardize a wonderful program that helps people overcome their addictions. Which we from, don't want to do. No, we don't want to do it. But yeah. nonetheless, maybe we could say, uh, I, I, David, give this movie, High School USA, five out of five talkaholic chips. I would agree. Five out of five talkaholic chips for me. All right. Well, there it is. From, from our mouths to God's ears, or in this case... Our tutti frutti's ears. Yeah. 
So, all right. Well, I think that ends this month's show. This is going to be longer than the typical episode, and I don't have a problem with that because this was so fun. To our listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. And uh, what was our sign-off? Did we... Oh, and our sign-off is, of course, our impression of Mrs. Garrett saying thank you and goodbye. So let's do it together. Three, two, one. Thank you. And goodbye. Bye.